Section 14 of The Light of Egypt, or The Science of the Soul and the Stars, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jill Preston. The Light of Egypt, or the Science of the Soul and the Stars, Volume 2, by Thomas Bergoni. Chapter 13, Penetralia, The Secret of the Soul. We have now arrived at our final study, which we have approached, step by step amid the labyrinth of the mysteries concealed beneath the veil of Isis. We stand at last upon the very threshold of the sacred Adidum, the Holy of Holies, from whence proceeds our final revelation of that inmost conception of man's identity with his Creator, the penetralia of his being the last secret of the incarnated soul. The written word almost fails us, does fail in fact, when we come to the difficult task of externalizing ideas, the sublimity of which is so infinitely beyond the crystallized images of matter that they can only be realized in their true glory when the purified soul can view them from the ineffable heights of eternal spirit. We are lost, dazed, at the brilliancy of the spiritual imagery that opens out before us in its fathomless stretch of the eternities that are past, of the ever-imperishable present, and the unborn eternities yet to be, all of them linked together in one grand chain of spiritual relationship and deathless identity, as man, the angel, God and God the angel, man as the triune cycle of being within the incomprehensible cycle of necessity, which constitutes nature's cosmic university for the complete graduation, education, and purification of that self-conscious, defic atom of life, whose expression becomes the human soul. Ah, my brothers, could you? But for one single instant, realize who you are, where you are journeying, and what your final destiny. Every earthly moment at your disposal would be rightly used, and every hour considered too short for your efforts to aid your fellow man. Selfishness, wealth, and power would be so utterly contemptible in your sight that their possession would be considered a fearful affliction and a curse the moment they exceeded the comfortable requirements of mundane existence leave self and the world behind you for the present and for the moment leave your life with its manifold vanities in the outer court and together let us cross the threshold and enter the door of the temple there. At last we have entered the sacred sanctuary, my brother, and we stand face to face with the imperishable truth of our being, 
the truth which makes us free, the truth which must ultimately prevail by virtue of its own inherent divinity. And we realize man as he really is, not as he outwardly seems to be. We view him as a molecule, composed of a congregation of separate atoms, all of them held in their places by the centripetal force of the central human atom of life. And yet, small as he is, small as his kingdom is, compared with the mighty creation of which he is a part, he possesses all the inherent qualities of the whole. This, then, is our first conception. Man is a microcosmic molecule, an atom of divine life. The scene changes within the chamber, and upon the shimmering, luminous veil, yet before us we view the large and mighty planet called the Earth, not as a revolving satellite of the sun, but as she really is, a vital organ of the macrocosm, the stellar womb of the solar system. The matrix which produces the material organic form of humanity. When the earth was without form and void, as we are informed in the mystical language of Genesis, the human soul had not yet reached the state or grade in the celestial university that desired the earth and its temporary illusions. Hence this state was void, an unborn idea, the to be and darkness, symbolical of complete lack of life and intelligence was upon the face of the deep, silent space. Again the scene changes, and one by one the numberless planets, planetoids, moons, meteors, comets, and other attendant bodies pass before the eye of the soul as we gaze upon the curtain of this sacred penetralia, each orb belonging to some portion of the astral man, each great planet constituting some vital function of the macrocosmic organism and conferring those qualities upon each and every single atom pertaining to that degree of life, so that the solar system becomes individualized as a grand cosmic organism, its attendant satellites constituting its vital organs and the shining zodiac its outward form. So also each planet is a living, cosmic, individual, intensely alive, living, moving, breathing, and bringing forth its offspring of like substance matter in obedience to the potential demand of incarnating spirit. The sun is alive, glowing with life, and constitutes the heart an arterial center of all the circulating fluids of the stellar anatomy. Scientists may continue to predict, as they have been predicting, the day when solar radiation will cease, but their predictions will prove as worthless as the sighing of the summer wind 
so far as reality is concerned. It is an incomprehensible mystery to science, says Sir Robert Ball in his Story of the Heavens, how the sun has been able to maintain its heat with such regularity in the past, for there has been no appreciable change in the Earth's temperatures for thousands of years. What it is today, it was 10,000 years ago. Yea, Sir Robert Ball, and will be in 10,000 years to come. You may wonder, and the Royal College may wonder. But in the meantime, the mighty, pulsating sun continues beating out its rhythmic vibrations of spiritual and dynamic life. Continues and will continue to send the exhilarating current throughout every atom to the remotest part of his solar dominions, and the same current returns to him again, undiminished, for the purification which his glowing, transmuting photosphere alone can give to be sent forward again upon its mission of light, life, and love, around the vital organic worlds of the astral organism. There is nothing lost, no radiation of energy dispersed upon the uniformed, lifeless ether. From the radiating solar focus of divinity, it comes and to him, undiminished it returns, and so on forever and ever until the last defic atom has won its laggard way back to the shining throne of God. The sun breathes, the pulsating process of dynamic respiration, eternally repeated during the grand period of a solar lifetime, renews its vital energies and supplies itself with the full abundance of the ever-living spirit transmitted from the shoreless ether in which it lives. It needs no other food except the magnetic nutriment it receives from each vital organ or planet in return for the electrical life current it transmits to them. Just as the human lungs inflate themselves with the vital atmosphere, which is only the ether, dynamically diluted by the earth to harmonize with our conditions, to oxygenate the blood and add fresh fuel to the physical furnace, or supply finer essences, to the nervous centers. Just as the human heart, with its continual rhythmic pulsations, propels forth the circulating fluid to every part of the human frame, so does the central heart and lungs of the grander man of the skies, the sun, send forth its vitalizing energy to every part of the universe. Such are the crowding thoughts, born of interior knowledge, that flood the mind as we view these sacred revelations within the sacred chamber of the soul. As yet, we are gazing upon the undulating flow of the astral light. We yearn within our utmost being to become the center of the penetralia and gaze upon the glorious radiance of the Odani from whose 
ineffable presence we are only screened by the last shining veil of semi-transparent matter that waves and trembles with every spiritual aspiration the soul sends forth its pleading cry for light who and what is god faintly as the distant vesper sounds upon the cooling eve comes the answer who and what art thou what canst thou see what delectable blessing does nature vouchsafe to the pure in heart we tremble with the awful yet thrilling revelation we know dimly yet fail to realize in our outward consciousness the full import thereof we realize wherein the mistaken selfhood hath become the only begotten of the father but the revelation is too much and too little we know that faint as the voice seemed to the yet unprepared soul an echo only it was the voice of the adonai behind the veil and now we crave the knowledge of the where and whither again we see the earth as the vital function of the interplanetary being it is composed of substance termed matter which substance is the aggregation of countless atoms which science has not and never can resolve into their individual selves these atoms are rings of the atomless ether which thus differentiated from the formless ether become centers of force the center of such force being a vacuum within the atomic ring a center so small that a microscope with lens one thousand times as powerful as the most perfect modern instrument would fail to reveal it these atoms form systems under the control of another apparent vacuum or rather this vacuum seems to be the focus or center about which they revolve this system constitutes a scientific molecule of matter and in response to the innumerable vibrations they assume different forms or dimensions and become indifferently molecules of oxygen hydrogen nitrogen or carbon as the case may be all of which are but different modes of motion of the same primitive atoms there being in nature but three things ether intelligence and motion what ether is no one knows we call it the formless spirit the unmanifest etc but there can be no doubt but that motion is the product of intelligence since we never see motion but as the manifestation of evolution and this is the expression of mind therefore we have a duality ether and intelligence one the living spirit the other the eternal substance for its manifestation every molecule of matter is the outward form the center of which is the incarnating spirit in some degree of progress man's physical organism is a system of life and development for countless billions of them so the earth in its functional expression as the womb of nature for the outward expression of man is only so in a material sense he is prior to the planet he man is only the offspring of the planet by virtue of his material body being a part of the substance of the earth 
This life is a stage only of his material journey, and just as man's body is continually throwing off useless dead matter and replacing the same with new life, so, too, the countless organic forms of earth are hourly returning to the ground from which they sprang, and new forms, rising from the same dust, are taking their places. Here, then, is the sum total. First is revealed to us the grand astral man, the zodiac being the outward idea or form, the sun and his system, the vital functions thereof, the earth, apart from its functional expression or place, is also an individual. Man, apart from forming a molecule of the planetary womb, by comparison, is also an individual. And, lastly, every molecule of man's organism is also, in reality, an individual, and small only by comparison with the human frame, and as there are the high solar archangels of the sun, and a chief amongst these seated upon his throne of fire, so there is an archangelic chief of the earth, surrounded by descending degrees of wisdom and power to man, who also, in his turn, stands as the defect center and chief of his being, his soul being the sphere of consciousness, which, when united to the feminine soul, constitutes the angel of life eternal. Down still we go, and find that this divine scale of life and being is, from the lowly molecule, system upon system, climbing, sphere upon sphere, upward and onward, forever, evermore, and all eternity cannot bring nearer the end of man's glorious immortality. In the full revelation of this divine scheme of creation, so full of light, life, love, joy, and harmony, a scheme void of death and annihilation, the mind once more reflects upon the physical illusions of slowly advancing scientific thought. Camille Flammarion, the great psychomaterialist of France, has painted in his various novels a lurid, almost horrible picture of what the mighty universe must become from the logical deductions of his own school of thought, a school which would be best named as transcendental materialism. According to this conception, thousands, aye, millions of worlds are rushing through space, inert, frozen, and dead. Suns have cooled down and ceased to give forth the life-sustaining element of light, but have still retained their mighty attraction upon their attendant planets, according to the laws of gravity by virtue of their material mass, and thus hold their planetary offspring in the eternal cold, icy grasp of death. 
Our sun, too, is cooling fast. The earth has already lost a great portion of her own internal heat. She has passed her prime of life and death. Cold, icy death has already begun to encroach upon her extremities. The South Pole, the feet, is now practically lifeless in one perpetual covering of ice. So, too, her head, her locks are the white of perpetual snow. No longer has she the blush and beauty of youth. No longer adorned with the healthy covering of verdure, which youthfulness gives, and, as our geologists prove, was once the case. So that, although the time may still be long, according to our reckoning of years, it is only a brief moment in eternity when this fair earth, and also the beauteous splendor of the silent stars, will be locked forever in darkness and the final sleep of doom. If this be so, we ask of the inmost soul, if life be but the fitful awakenings of the indestructible spirit ebbing and flowing in response to the rise and fall of nature's cosmic barometer and the transmutations of matter, if life is, in reality, but a brief and passing moment, eternally repeated from the flush of youth, the gilded salon to the bier and the shroud, then why, oh why should the spirit of mortal be proud? Why aspire to penetrate the inward realities of life and enter the holy of holies to seek and find out God? As the rushing torrent of this thought swept o'er the mental chambers of the soul and saturated the spirit with its icy sting, as it lay still chained within the prison house of matter, the higher self rose, sublime in its grandeur and consciousness of divine relationship. Oh, why should the spirit of mortal be proud? Why aspire to penetrate the inward realities of life and enter the holy of holies to seek and find out God? As the rushing torrent of this thought swept o'er the mental chambers of the soul and saturated the spirit with its icy sting, as it lay still chained within the prison house of matter, the higher self rose sublime in its grandeur and consciousness of divine relationship and in the last earthly appeal for light for divine truth as to man and his immortality it turned in reverence and awe before the still shimmering veil of the sacred penetralia the trial had come the crucial test whether of life or death, the final revelation to man. In purity of heart and humility of soul, we await in agonizing suspense. There is a thrilling sensation 
as though of ten thousand electric currents consuming the frame, and a swaying to and fro, as if drifting upon an ocean of fire. Then a dead silence, so profound that whole eternity seemed to pass, without either beginning or end. And the sight of the inward spirit is opened slowly. Who? Where? What? For the shadows have fled. The luminous curtain fades, is gone, and flashing before the inward sight stands the ineffable Adani. It is I, you. There is no God but this, and in one moment the interior consciousness becomes at one with self, God, and from that inconceivable height of profound vision we again look upon nature. Behold, sun, moon, and planets in all the original magnificence of their nebulous luminosity. From nebulous rings we proceed, stage after stage, each producing its own degrees of life. On, on we pass the ages, the geological cycles of inconceivable duration in time but only a mere instant in eternity, and on and on as the changes roll, until we see earth as she is now, still on, as the ever-urging desire of the triumphant soul, and a remarkable change is apparent. From forces at present latent, there comes a change, and instead of so-called physical electrical races, have superseded the present humanity, Crystallization has ceased, and all things become lighter in density and more ethereal in nature, and the orbit of the earth grows less. Nearer and nearer shines the mighty sun. First Vulcan, then the swift messenger of the gods are indrawn within the solar vortex, each absorption producing a cataclysmic change upon our earth. Then comes the turn of Venus, while slowly and surely the orbit of the earth contracts and nearer shines the sun. And, finally, the beautiful earth, her mission over, the last atom of life, beyond her rule, inward she sweeps and is lost in the mighty ocean of fire as a stone is lost in the lake. Verily is the word of prophecy a literal truth. The earth shall be destroyed with fire, and so on with the rest, each planet in its proper turn, fulfilling the functions at present performed by the earth, each becoming the grand theater of material and ethereal life, and the cometary bodies today chasing unknown orbits in the realms of ether, gradually fall into line when their erratic cycle is ended, taking the places of the present outermost planets. No such thing as death. No such thing as the dark silence of eternal night for any organic creation of the Most High. From the sun they come, and unto the sun each must ultimately return, even as the body of man, coming from the dust of earth, 
must also return thereto to be taken up in new forms and furnish substance for other degrees of life and thus will it be until the sun in its mighty solar heavens of purified spiritual life will form the last the final battleground of matter receiving its new life from a greater center than itself a glorious solar world well typified in the last battle of the gods and the new earth a world whereon the angels tread in superlatively beautiful forms clothed with the ideals and emanations of their own divine purity souls clothed in air treading the ethereal realms of light as the children of god and the inheritors of the kingdom of heaven must the searching eye of the soul seek further must the insatiable thirst of the spirit launch out upon the trackless infinities of the yet to be must it still penetrate further in the profound beyond where time ceases to be where the past present and the future are forever unknown but exist only as the definite consciousness of the eternal now no the soul at last rests satisfied the final revelation is over my brother we have done and in closing have only to add that not until the speculating philosophy of earthly schools blend with the science of the spheres in the full and perfect fruition of the wisdom of the ages will man know and reverence his creator and in the silent penetralia of his inmost being respond in unison with that angelic anthem of life we praise thee o god my brother we have done and in closing have only to add that not until the speculating philosophy of earthly schools blends with the science of the spheres in the full and perfect fruition of the wisdom of the ages will man know and reverence his creator and in the silent penetralia of his inmost being respond in unison with that angelic anthem of life we praise thee o god end of section 14 recording by jill preston end of the light of egypt and the science of the soul and the stars volume 2 by thomas burgoni